I want to take you on a journey back into the Older Testament, into the book of Isaiah, that is read for us just a little bit ago from the prophet, as the prophet shares with us words that are so profound and so meaningful. They offered hope to the people then, and they will offer hope to the people now. Some of the things he prophesies and talks about are things that have already occurred, though they happened long after he prophesied, and some of the other things are still to happen in our future. They have not yet happened, but they are on God's radar and God's forecast is very clear for us to be able to hear what he has to say. Now, Christmas is a season when we have different words that we emphasize, and the word that we're emphasizing today is that word hope. Some of you are Christmas movie buffs, and you really like to watch Christmas movies. If you like to watch them, raise your hand. You like to watch some Christmas movies. There's a bunch of you that like to watch Christmas movies. And some of you will know that whenever you watch a movie like a movie like Elf, you see a movie like that, you know that he hopes to find his father. Or if you watch The Grinch, you know that he hopes to ruin Christmas. Somebody in your life may hope to ruin your Christmas. I don't know about that, but I hope you have nobody like that. And then the Cranks thought their daughter wasn't going to come home. So since she wasn't coming home, they canceled Christmas on their schedule. They were headed to the island. And then their daughter calls and says, I am coming home and I'm bringing my fiance with me. That was a disastrous Crank Christmas. And I watch Ralphie most Christmas. Ralphie, he always hopes to get a Red Ryder BB gun. And you know what? He does get one. Every year he gets one. It's really fun to be able to watch that. And then what about Santa's lap? Some of you go to Santa's lap because you're hoping about something. You hope and you're hoping. What are you hoping for whenever you sit there in that moment? But Isaiah is talking about hope. You see, we have hope when we don't have something. We have hope whenever we are wishing something would change and something would be different and God would do something that he has not yet done. John and Charles Wesley, they lived a long time ago, but they had hope. And the hope they had was given to them by Jesus Christ. In their culture, 10-year-old boys, 10-year-old boys were hanged if they were caught trying to steal bread for their family because families were starving and they had nothing and they had no social net to catch them. In their culture, people were being sold by slaves and into slavery and they were being dispersed out into the communities. It was terrible, terrible time. And they were able to bring back hope and restore dignity and began to provide for people an idea of something that could be better as they pointed to people to Jesus. Isaiah in his desperate time is saying there's got to be something, there must be something that we can do to help the people. The times were desperate, the times were dark, the times were bad, and they needed hope. Hope is something you and I need in our society today. Our society is not that different from back in the day whenever these different ones would speak out and say, we need this or we need that or God, would you do this or God, would you do that? And so we need hope even in our society today. Our society right now is guilty even in the Lehigh Valley of sexual slave trafficking, a terrible thing, a crime against humanity and addictions are eroding our families all around and no family is exempt. Once an addiction grabs hold, it seems to not want to let go. And depression and suicide are things that have definitely gotten a hold of a lot of people and seem to be at every corner, something going on. And we kill babies in the womb and we kill babies just as they come out of the womb and seem to think that God should be okay with that. We blur all kinds of lines that have been defined for centuries for us and our students go to school 
and they're taught whatever. And I know some of you teachers are pressured to give lessons that go against every bit of your core values and go against everything that you believe in your soul. And yet in our world, it seems like anyone that's trying to do good or speaks out against some of that type of stuff is either marginalized or somehow ostracized to where we're diminished and belittled to be little to the point that we seem to be nothing and we seem to be wrong within ourselves. These are things that we are facing in our society today. What is it that would cause somebody to think they could drive a car through a bunch of people running and jogging down the road? What is it that caused a lady just this week to be caught just before she drove her car into a bunch of joggers? What is it that causes us to think these things are okay? I believe that our society needs to go back to the message Isaiah gives. When Isaiah stood at the podium of time, and there he delivered a message for God. He delivered a message that would give hope to people. Hope that wouldn't just address the tangible physical needs, but hope that would be able to reach out beyond them into the lives of many, many, many people. In Isaiah 49, we see three ways that he presents Jesus Christ to us. Jesus Christ as a great hope that God is giving to all the ages of humanity. The first of these ways that we're going to see is whenever Isaiah speaks about Christ in a crib. He would speak in different places like, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, call his name Emmanuel. So when we sang a little bit ago about Emmanuel, if you didn't grow up around church, if you haven't heard that word, you might have wondered, what in the world is so big about Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God with us. It's talking about Jesus coming to earth. There's something very significant about that name. There's something very significant about Christ and his ministry to us and what he wants to do in our lives. So we look at that first one and we see the crib. Look at verses 1 through 3 and verse 6. God decides that he's going to do something about this world and humanity, and he's going to start out by doing it, sending a baby to live in a crib. Can you imagine if you had a problem in your life and somebody said, yeah, I'm going to give you a little baby and that baby will grow up, and one day that baby will be big enough to learn about what needs to happen, and then that baby's going to help you with the situation. But that's not the way God dealt with this situation. He said, no, I'm going to send a baby. It's going to be a, an approved child. It's going to be my child. It's going to be my gift to humanity. It's going to be the one that I want to give. And he says in verse 1, I want you to call the nations and the islands together. I want you to call all of them together. And so he reaches out and he calls them. And God announces through the prophet the, that he is going to send the Messiah. He called on him before he was born. He called his son by name. So when Gabriel would come, and Gabriel would come to visit Mary, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, he says, you will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is what you're supposed to do. You're not going to call him John. You're not going to call him Joseph. You're not going to call him something else. You're going to call him Jesus because Jesus means he will save his people from their sin. That's what Jesus means. Savior, salvation. This is what's going to happen. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. In other words, nobody is higher than him. And gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of what? Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. This is absolutely powerful, and God says he's going to do this. 
Now, I heard some out-of-body experiences the other day from some people. I don't equate them with the Scripture, but they are their stories. I was amazed that the people were saying, almost without exception, when I came into the presence of God, of Christ, when I came into His presence as I was out of my body, into the heaven, after the accident or the body incident, they said, my body slammed down to the ground, and then He picked me up. I don't know that our bodies are going to slam to the ground. He'll pick us up. But I do know that he says that every knee will bow to the glory of God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means Adolf Hitler, Napoleon, MacArthur, you, me, and the person sitting beside you, we're going to bow our knee to the Father, honoring Jesus Christ as Lord. It's a powerful situation. Then notice what God says to the prophet here. He says, he is my servant. I have approved him. God has not said this about anybody else. He has not said this anywhere else about any of us. He didn't say it about any prophets in the past. He didn't say it about any teacher, any pastor. He said, this is my servant. He is my appointed one that I am sending. This is what he's saying. And then he says in verse six of this passage, something that I find very interesting. He says, I'm not sending him just to Israel. I'm calling all of the nations. I'm calling all of the islands. I'm not just sending him just to this one specific people group, though they're important. He says, I'm widening the canopy. He says, Israel would be too small a thing for me to do. So Jesus, whenever we get into the scripture, he talks about himself. And when Jesus talks about himself, he refers to himself as son of man 83 times. Why would he call himself son of man? Why not son of Mary, son of Joseph? He calls himself son of man because he wants everybody and all humanity to know that he loves you. He cares for you. He is dying for you. And he wants you to make peace with God through him. And through Christ, you and I have the ability to make peace with God. This is what he is about. This is absolutely powerful. And so this is why the scripture would say in John's gospel chapter three, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is why Jesus said to the disciples right before he goes back, I want you to take this news to everybody and take it to the ends of the earth. Right now, as this message is going out through live stream, it can be seen by people around the world. We've had people from India watching us. We've had people from Jordan watching us. We've had people in different parts of the country watching us. We've got all kinds of people all over the world that are able to see what's going on into this service right now. And one thing that is amazing to me or exciting to me is that God Almighty has said he wants this message to go around the world. And in some small way, BWC, stuck here in eastern Pennsylvania, gets to cast its message around the world that people could hear the gospel and hear the good news, and it's a beautiful thing to participate in, something like that. My servant, he says, and he sends him to the crib. But then there's a second way of hope that is announced here in this passage, and that way of hope is in verse 7. Jesus would be crucified on the cross. If we leave Jesus just as this little baby, cooing, holding on to a big finger with his little fingers, sucking on his thumb, needing to eat, needing to burp, needing his diety change. If we just leave him as a baby in the manger, we have missed the whole point of Christmas. We have missed the whole point of the prophecy. 
for he's going to take him 33 years later, where the scripture says in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. What would we do with that gift? The thing we did with that gift was we crucified him and nailed him to a tree. We crucified him and nailed him to a tree. Why would we crucify Christ? Because there's something about him that challenges every thought we have. We're self-centered. We're self-driven. We're self-consumed. But there's something more that Christ has in mind, that God has in mind. And what he says is, I'm going to send Christ. Now, they crucified people all around them. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that uncommon in their culture to crucify people. It's sad, but they would crucify people. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, somebody was crucified on his right, somebody was crucified on his left. You remember the thieves on the cross? They are on the crosses beside him. It's not that uncommon. It's not uncommon that they would be there, but it is that Jesus Christ is a person on the middle cross. Jesus is on that middle cross. Henry Blackaby in his writing said this, once you understand the cross, a selfish, self-centered life is no longer an option. Now, you and I boast about a lot of things, don't we? Uh, to boast is a military term. When you study the scripture to understand what that word might mean, it's really come from a military term. But it's really talking about having a superior quality or a superior trait, something that is elevated above and beyond everybody else around you. Well, the Philadelphia Phillies were one of two teams in the World Series this year, and the Phillies could boast, though they did not win the World Series, they could boast that they had, out of 30 teams, they were, they were in the top two. And it's really because they have an incredible lineup. They can boast about their lineup. Schwarber led the league in home runs. Hoskins, we watched him over here at the Iron Pigs. Real Muto, they got from the Marlins. Harper, they signed from the Nats a couple years ago. Castellanos came over from the Red. They have a top five in their lineup that are incredible and extraordinary people. They can boast of a good lineup. Militaries boast of their strength. But chefs boast of their strength as well. Emerald, Paul Hollywood, Reed Drummond, Guy Fieri. You, some of you have been to their restaurants. Some of you get their recipes. We elevate them. We lift them up. And then you want to know more about them because of all of that. The cross. The apostle Paul had done a lot of things. And when Paul was here on earth, he was persecuting Christians. He was dealing with a lot of Christians. And as he dealt with them, and as he put them aside, and as he tried to have them incarcerated and shut them down, there was a bright light that came to him one day, and Christ became real to him. And he began to understand what the, what the Lord was saying to him. Paul had great credentials beyond the notoriety of being against what was going on with Christians. He was a citizen of Rome. That was the best place you could be a citizen from in that time. He wasn't from New York or Washington. or He was from Rome. He was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. Alexander and Andr Alexandria and Athens were great centers of learning. And many people would boast that they had been there, but he was educated in Tarsus. That was considered just as good. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He had a lot to boast about. 
But when he came to an encounter with Jesus, something changed in his life. And in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, it said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, perhaps the greatest preacher in our era, he said this, Our hopes do not rest in a system or in a government or in a philosophy, but our hopes rest in the cross of Christ. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, some years ago, was speaking out against communism in his country. And as he spoke out against communism in his country, he was considered a dissident. And they arrested him and put him in a concentration camp. And in that prison, he was relegated to basically starvation. And he was also relegated to uh, work duty that basically consisted of just going over here and moving rock piles here and rock piles there. Nothing much really more than that. And he began to lose all of his respect. He began to lose all of his dignity. He began to just feel like life was worthless. And though a minister and he had spoken out against communism, he felt like the whole world was really against him in these moments. (laughs) He did not know what to do. He could not figure out exactly what he ought to do. So he just gave up. He had no hope. He put his shovel down. He went over to a bench. He sat down on the bench, put his head down. He knew what happened to other people because he had seen them give up before as well. A soldier would come over and beat them, and if they didn't start working, the soldier would go ahead and beat him to death. He figured that they would come and grab his shovel and use that to whack him to death. He was out of it all. He said, I'm done. Then he sees a shadow coming up beside him. He doesn't know what. He's expecting a soldier to smack or yell at him. But no voice, just a guy squats down, a fellow prisoner, and he draws in the dirt the sign of the cross. Got up, walked away. In those moments, Solzhenitsyn looked down at that cross. He stared at the cross in the dirt. His entire perspective began to adjust and change. He knew there was something greater than the evil he was experiencing in that camp. He knew that there was hope for him and for all the people, and it's found in the simple cross of Christ. Though outwardly nothing changed, inwardly everything changed, and he began to find hope that he needed to face the future. But these two events have happened in the past. There's an event that Isaiah talks about here that's going to happen down the line. I don't think it's that far ahead. I'm not going to expand on all of it, but I want to to look at it just for a little bit, and that is what I'm calling the crown. The crown is absolutely something that is in our future. Isaiah looks into his future, 600 years, and he sees a baby that is born. He looks 630 years or so, and he sees Christ on the cross. Then he looks out into the future, and he sees Christ as king. When he sees his crown, he says there's going to be hope that's going to come in an unusual way down the line, far into the future. He says it's going to be real. It's going to be something that's going to be spectacular. It's going to be something that's going to be very, very unusually awesome. He says there's going to be a thousand-year reign is what he's referring to. In verse 7, he says he will overcome and one day sit on the throne of David and kings and princes and all people will one day honor him. When it talks about in verse 7 of our passage here in Isaiah chapter 49, that he will reign over his kingdom, 
It's referring to something in Revelation chapter 20 it refers to six times. And whenever you see what he's beginning to refer to here, he is talking about a hope that will go beyond now, a hope that will go beyond anything we could sit on Santa's lap and ask for, a hope that goes beyond any hope you have for this Christmas or Ralphie had for his Christmas. It is a hope that goes beyond just the people of Israel. This is a hope that goes to the far-flung islands. And read that again. It says, and to those people who are afar off. It's talking about you, and it's talking about me. It's talking about a future. And it says to us in verse 7 that Jesus will reign. Look in verses 8 through 13 where it begins to unpack his eternal kingdom that's coming. He's going to have the thousand-year reign. That's going to happen. And then Satan will be loosed for a period of time where he will be able to tempt those that have been born during that thousand-year reign. This is how I understand it. And then will come the judgment. And in following that, Satan is going to be destroyed, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, cast into the lake of fire. That's Revelation in the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 20 and 10. Be cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus will sit on his throne forever and 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 forever. And there will be no other beside him. It is him. There'll be no more foolishness, no more coloring outside the lines, no more silliness, no more sinfulness, and no more running around redefining everything, for the former things are passed away. Robert Russell's a pastor and writer. He said a house near the entrance of his subdivision kept the Christmas lights on during the Christmas season and everybody enjoyed it, but then Christmas passed. And it's one thing to put your lights up, it's another thing to take them down. Can I get a witness in the house? (laughs) And so he said, it was January and they still left their lights on. It was February and they still left their lights on. And he thought, I ought to go over and say something to him about take his stinking lights down or at least turn them off. But he didn't. And then the calendar turned to March. And then there was a sign out in the front yard that said, welcome home, Jimmy. Jimmy was her son who had been in a Vietnam conflict and he came home and they had left the lights on for him. You and I look foolish thinking Jesus Christ is coming back. But I will tell you, Isaiah said 600 years before it happened, he would come once as a baby. And then he says he will hang on a cross. And guess what? In Isaiah 53, he talks about that. And guess what? It all happened. And there is not one thing you can do about the fact that God decided to give his son, he calls my servant as a baby. Nothing you and I can do about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. Nothing we can do about that. And there's nothing you and I can do about, get a load of this, there is nothing you and I or any government on the earth can do about the fact that one day he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords and he's going to reign forever. There's not one thing you can do about that. So why preach a message like this? For information? No, for action. He came as a baby so we could approach him. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so we could trust. He paid our salvation penalty. And he's coming back in the future so he can fulfill the promise of eternal life he's going to give to every one of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Bible says, 
If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. I didn't say it. I didn't write it. I'm repeating it. I'm just a dispenser of hope today. If you'll trust in him, he'll forgive you of every sin you have ever done, anything you've ever done, anything you've ever done, anything you've ever done, every section in this room, every watcher online. He will make you what you ought to be, and he'll bring a transformation from the inside out. The old will leave, the new will come, he'll transform your mind, and he'll forgive you of your sin. You're not responsible for your spouse. You're not responsible for your kid's choice. They'll make their own. You raise them in the way they should go, but I mean when they become adults, you may have been the only Christian at your table the other day. But let me tell you this, when he comes back to rule and reign and the rapture happens, he is coming back for you. He is coming back for you as you have trusted in him. What a day that will be. Thank God for the future we have in him. Now, for some of you, this is brand new theology, brand new teaching. You say, wow, Kev, nice. Well, I don't know about that. Because you've grown up never hearing it. It's in the Bible. If you've never heard about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Read verse 13 down through verse 18. That's where we get the word rapture. Caught up is interpreted in our English as rapture. It's ahead. When shall the end come? Read the end of Matthew. Read 24, 25, 26. Read in there. The prophecies of the book of Revelation, read it. Daniel is prophetic. Isaiah writes of things that happened and writes of things that will happen. Ezekiel writes of some things in the later chapters of Ezekiel that are prophetic, that speak about the future that is still to come. God is still running this world. Don't forget it. No king, no president, no governor is running this world. God, before they were here, when they are gone, will still be God seated on the throne of the universe, and he will have the last word, and it will be good. Are you on his team? You want to be on his team. You want to be on his team. And his gift to solve your problem of sin and separation from God was solved through Jesus in the manger, Jesus on the cross, and is truly going to be resolved in the end when Christ rules forever and forever. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the provision of grace that you have given to us. Are you ready? Are you ready? If I drop dead today, I want to know one thing. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you opened your heart to Christ as best you know and just said, come into my life, forgive my sin? That's why I died on the cross, why I came to earth. That's why providing a place in heaven for you, a future. And it's so bright. I want to go there. I am ready, and the longer I live, the more I think about heaven because it's just ahead in my future. Because I'm cool, I'm awesome, I'm bad to the bone. No. I'm all that, I know, but you know. <laughs> no, I'm not, and I know it. I'm just me, you know that. But because one day I came to the awareness of this, and I realized this was for this. And I realized then, oh my stars, it doesn't end. He rose from the dead. And it meant this. And I said, sign me up. Sign me up. 
I went on that team. And I gave my heart to Christ at eight years old, and I have not looked back. Celebrating my 50th year this year of walking with Christ. I love him. He's everything. And all you have to do is start right now from wherever you are. Wherever you are. Wherever you are. I've had people say to me, literally say to me, you don't know what all I've done. No disrespect. You don't have to share your story with me. You share it with him. Because the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he promised. You say, well, I got to do a lot of good deeds. No, you, you just come to him and surrender to him and he'll, he'll just give you the desire to do good deeds and you'll start doing good deeds. You don't get to heaven because of your good deeds. You can't do enough of them. He paid the price on the cross. You think giving a couple bucks somewhere to a charity is going to make the difference of a cross? Give it up. He paid the price already as we trust in him and him alone. That's Martin Luther Reformation stuff right there. Him and him alone, we find forgiveness of sin. So I've led you to the table (laughs) with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's up to you to eat. I cannot feed you. You must eat. But the real question as we begin Advent is this hope that is dawn is what will you do with Jesus? And I've titled this whole Christmas series, Change by Christmas. (laughs) Christ. If you've never opened your life to Christ, I'm going to invite you to do something very basic and simple. My mother taught me at eight years old. And that is to just pray a simple prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can mean it from your mind, but mean it sincerely. You could say something like this. Dear God, I recognize I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you. Just go ahead and say it. I don't want that sin in my life any longer. I see you came as a baby. I see you died on the cross. I see you rose from the dead and you did that so we could have peace with God. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for this great love you've extended. Come into my life. I receive you now. Be my savior. And be my king. Now and always, I give you thanks. Amen. The Bible says if you open your heart to Christ, you have been what's called born again. So when you get born again, you need to do, you need to do a couple things. If you're born again, you say, yeah, I thought you said I don't have to do anything. I just believe. Well, that's true. But to grow, I want to encourage you to get a Bible. If you don't have one, we have some Bibles back at these tables here. Amy, get some Bibles out from wherever they are. And you just take one free from the church. And if you want a more specialty, you know, one with a little bit of notes at the bottom of it, they're out there in the lobby, kind of against the wall in the middle of the lobby, against the wall facing that way. And pick one up. If you don't have money, we will, we will give it to you. We want you to have it. 
You can get an app on your phone of the Bible. My wife listens to the Bible, reading, reading the Bible through, just listens to it and reads it, and, and it's a great blessing. I mean, you can do that. I talk to God every day. I just talk to him, just like I'm talking to you. And I relax in that. If he shows me I've done something wrong, I confess it. But I don't look at God as coming to kill me. Arr! You know. And when I have bad things happen now, his Holy Spirit is in me, so he helps me through those. Every day. I lean on the Holy Spirit all the time. It's not freaky, mystical. I lean on him. I literally lean on him all the time, every day. I talked to him this morning about this service before I came. I talked to him while I was singing because he translates my prayers to Christ who interprets them to the Father. That's a Bible. That's not me. That's a Bible. And so since I have that Wi-Fi with him, he doesn't charge me. I just pray all the time. <laughs> a lot of time, it seems. So I pray and I read my Bible. I also have music playing in my house. Sometimes if I sense that there's just oppression, just darkness. Sometimes I'll leave my Christian radio on in a couple parts of the house. I'll leave it on in at least one of the parts of the house with Christian music even while I'm gone. As a testimony to God, I'm a 24-7 testimony of it's all about you in my life. It's a testimony. Sometimes I'll just have my Bible open and just say, uh, anybody comes in to hear that. It's this. And I just lean hard onto him. So I encourage you to lean hard on him. Uh, some people said, I don't know if I can really pray about myself. You better pray about yourself. You may be the only person praying for you other than Jesus himself. So pray for yourself. It's not selfish. It's not wrong. And pray about the meeting you have tomorrow that you'll show Christ. Pray about the attitude you'll have at the Christmas exchange that you'll show Christ. And so I don't want to hold you longer than you can handle today. I don't want to give the head more than the seat can endure but I sense the Holy Spirit here, and you're really listening today. I really sense it. I could go on a couple hours, but I will not. I want you to come back next week. <laughs> if you stayed here two hours a day, you would not come back next week. Afraid I'd do it again. So let's stand for our closing song. Can we do that? And uh, have our team come, and they're just going to lead us. Lord, we thank you that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Thank you for those who today have accepted you and received you to themselves as Savior. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We're very sincere about our faith in you and very committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen.